Hey everyone, this is the third week of our series called In the Meantime. And today is an especially important day because this coordinates with the campaign our Home Point team is doing called Tell the Story. Last week, Greg Ziegler and friends passed out packets at the church building about Tell the Story. And these are now available in digital form on our website for you so that you can go and download these great resources. We want to help you as you're telling the story of Jesus and witnessing to others, especially as it starts at home. So in our first couple of weeks of this series, we've done some pretty deep groundwork to prepare for this. In our first week, we talked about, in the meantime, life isn't canceled. Creation isn't canceled. God's great project that began with making the world and humanity that he loves is not going to fail. On the grand scale, God is going to redeem the universe, make the new heavens and the new earth. And on the smallest scale, God is in the business of redeeming individual people who are far from him. Even doubting Thomas and denying Peter are welcomed back into the work of Jesus because of God's great plan of renewing life, not canceling it. So Peter, who denied Jesus three times, to him Jesus says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. He is welcomed back into the service of Jesus. Last week we discussed the fundamentals of the story, which is that the gospel is everything Jesus did, everything he said. Everything from his incarnation until he ascends back to heaven is the gospel. In fact, the critical contours of the gospel are what sets Jesus' story apart from all other teachers and leaders and life coaches and potential saviors. It's his abundant life and teachings. It's his betrayal, death, and resurrection, and his exaltation to king of all of the universe. That is the story that we tell, not our own stories, his story. And we witness to the world about how his story has intersected with our own and how it impacts our life. So today we want to do a couple of things just to help you in your witness. Because of great scriptures like Matthew 28, we all know that it is our job, along with the Holy Spirit, to share this news with the world. Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And surely, Jesus promised, focus on this promise, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is not a job you do alone. It's with Jesus. And then in Acts 1, Jesus looks at his apostles and he says to them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Now, here's a little interpretive move on that. Where is your Jerusalem and your Judea Samaria and your ends of the earth? What are the concentric circles of witness in your life that match up with those in the apostles' lives? Because it starts at home for us. Any witness that we might want to do on the widest circle, worldwide impact, is going to fail or be flawed or fake if we aren't also living that way in our town, in our workplaces, in our local shopping centers. And that will be fake if this, if this isn't the way that we live and act and talk around the people that know us best and that we know best. The hardest place to have a fruitful witness is at home, but this is where it starts. And so we're giving you some tools in the packet to try to help you with just that. Additionally, 
This week, you may have received an email from our staff about an opportunity to take a spiritual direction check. We have emailed out to all members who have an active email address with us, who are 18 and above, the church relationship assessment. And this will give you the opportunity to sit with some questions that will examine in your own thinking and in your own heart where you're at in relationship to our church and our ministries here and especially to your emotional intelligence. What is God doing in your heart? How is God shaping and forming you to the likeness of Jesus? He promised in Romans 8, 29, that those of us that he foreknew, he has predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is God's great plan in your life. And we know that if our ministry starts at home where we're known best and is going to melt outwards into the workplace and into the whole world, that we need real help of being shaped like Jesus. So we hope the packet and the, uh, the spiritual direction check will help you. Let's talk a little bit today about tools in the New Testament to help us tell the story. How can we do this together? And the first thing I want us to think about is that the process of coming to Jesus does not usually happen all in one movement. If you think back on your own story of coming to know Jesus, did you go from zero to the cross all in one lesson or one sermon or one conversation with a friend? I bet it was more like uh, you were at cross minus 10, way over here. And one, the witness of a grandparent moved you to, to number nine. And then maybe a, a great sermon that you heard moved you another step. And the service of a Christian in your life at a time of need helped you move another step closer to Jesus so that slowly you became prepared and ready to accept Jesus as your Lord and to accept his invitation to step into his kingdom work. This is a great way for us to think about telling the story to those we come in contact with. It may be that God has simply called for you today to help someone make the step from cross minus six to cross minus five, to move one step closer. Most of us probably are not gonna close the deal with everyone that we talk to. In fact, the stress and anxiety that comes on us from thinking it is our responsibility to close the deal often causes us to talk and look like people that we are not. It almost bends us out of shape. So let's talk a little bit about how we can help people move a step at a time towards Jesus and towards his great gospel story. The first thing would be that you're on a team. You are not doing this alone. Now think about what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul planted a seed and Apollos, different preacher, watered the seed, but God has given the growth. There are so many rich learnings in just that idea alone. First is that maybe Paul's job was to move them from step 10 to nine, and Apollos goes from nine to eight, but ultimately this teamwork is God's plan. God is putting people in place in the lives of others to help them come to know himself and to know the story of Jesus. You are called to do your part, but this is kind of like a slow drip irrigation system. 
if you've got <clears throat> these young plants in the ground, th these delicate early plants in your garden, you may give them a little bit of water now and a little bit of water two days from now and then a little bit more water a few days after that. But if you come and you take a whole bucket of water and dump it on them all at once, you're probably going to uproot that young plant, flood it out, wash it out. It'll do more damage than good. Slow drip irrigation is what Paul seems to be talking about in 1 Corinthians 3. That there's planting, there's watering, but there's God's work and God's growth. Think about witnessing, in other words, in terms of dripping words full of the gospel, one at a time, at appropriate times, and not feeling the burden to gush all of it out there like a fire hydrant at once. This might be a sentence of witness instead of a paragraph, or a sentence instead of a lecture. So on one given day, God might put in your heart to say to a friend, isn't this a beautiful day that God has made? Zip, that's it, that's really all there is to say. Because we're going to let them think about that. Let that seed take root. Maybe there'll be another opportunity then later to say to the same friend something else about how Jesus' peace was with you in the time that you lost a parent. And wow, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have God in my life. There we go. There's a, a little bit of water, a little bit of irrigation. Now, what can happen from time to time is somebody wants to know more about the story of Jesus and what they should do to receive his life and his promises. This is where Peter is at in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, when the people that heard his sermon on Pentecost were cut to the heart. They were not bullied into making a decision. They weren't pressed. For, today you need to go from C minus 10 to, the, to make your cross decision now. They were presented with the story of Jesus. Now it was a strong presentation. It was full of the critical contours of the gospel. But when they were cut to the heart, their hearts were touched, in other words, they said to Peter, what should we do? Now that's a rich moment. That's a moment uh, where, in where God is doing his part because this team that we're on is a team that can't lose. It doesn't lose because we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has promised, I'm with you to the end of the age. So we witness in sentences. We witness with words. And when it's appropriate, we share more. But one thing to keep in mind is that we never witness without words. Oh, we might live a good lifestyle and hope that other people notice the peace that we have or notice the, uh, the patience that we have, the fruits of the Spirit. We show love to everyone and we can do that without words. But because the gospel is the story of Jesus, his teachings, his life, his death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension to king of the universe, we actually cannot witness about Jesus by never using words. So we're challenged to use our words, but to use them wisely, to remember that we're on a team, to take one step at a time, not to feel as if this is all on us. That actually twists us and changes us to be something that we probably really don't want to be. We trust God and God's team. It's a team that can't lose. The second thing is, in witnessing, you get to think about what is your style. God has not called all of us to do gospel sharing in exactly the same ways. 
He puts uh, Philip in one situation in the book of Acts to speak to an Ethiopian eunuch. No one else is called to that specific opportunity. He calls Paul to be for the Gentiles and Peter for the Jews sharing the gospel. They have different unique opportunities. And part of this is because God knows the style. He has given each of us a, a set of skills that are innately in us. It's in the way that he built you, your person, your character, your personality. And it's as if this tool that you were given or this you that you are is filled with a new power, with a battery whenever you come to know Jesus and the Holy Spirit fills you. And so now you might have a style that God has uniquely prepared you to use in telling the story about Jesus. There is a list of six different styles that are contained in the book Contagious Christianity. Other people talk about three or four styles. Some people talk about a dozen styles. I don't think the number matters necessarily. But what does matter is this big idea that there are styles that you have one and you get to be you. Consider the confrontational style. This is probably not most of us. Maybe less than 10% of people are considered to have this confrontational evangelism style, witnessing style. But Peter, in Acts chapter 2, which is our text for today, seems to use this style. At the end of his sermon that we read last week, he says this confrontational sentence, Acts 2.36, Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now that's blunt, and it's in the face of the people who had called for Jesus' crucifixion, the same people in Jerusalem, and Peter to these people is confronting them and saying, this man that you crucified, Jesus, God has made Lord and King. This is what cuts the people to the heart. Along with the story about Jesus that was told, that little bit of confrontation is Peter's style. Now, when they ask what should they do, Peter is prepared to give them the hope, the response to the gospel. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise, he says, is for you and your children and for all who are far off. So Peter is prepared when he confronts somebody to then share grace with them that Jesus has already prepared a response for you in which you get to be part of this story too. God is redeeming all of his world and all of his people are invited to be redeemed. And so this confrontational style is matched with words of grace, not with words of condemnation. But consider the invitational style. Andrew, the brother of Peter, invites Peter early in the gospel stories to come and see Jesus. He says, come and meet. We have found the Messiah. Come and see him. This is invitational style. The woman at the well is another great example of this. She meets Jesus. She has some intellectual conversation with him. She is a spiritual seeker. I really admire her. And then she goes back to her town and invites people to come meet the man that she has met, who, in her words, has told me everything I ever did and in her unspoken words, is trustworthy. So this is an invitational style. Consider a, a relationship style. Many of you know that you would rather talk to someone about deep personal life issues if they have been involved in your life, if you have coffee together, if you have lunch together, 
if there is a relationship. Going to visit your neighbor when they're in the hospital speaks a word that is much more relational than just mailing a pamphlet or even, even inviting them to a church service. It is a presence in the life of another person that is relational. There is a testimonial style. Here is what Jesus has done for me. This might be like the blind man from John chapter 9 who goes about telling, this is what he did for me. I was blind and now I can see. And so they press him with other questions and he says, look, I'm just telling you what he did for me. There are intellectuals like Paul who can put together brilliant letters like the letter of Romans in which he lays out the process of how God is saving the world and how he is working to redeem people. And there are servants, people with great compassion like Dorcas in the book of Acts, who through her um, service to people is beloved and has this powerful witness. It opens doors of opportunity to share what Jesus has done. Can you see the teamwork? Whether there are three or six or 12 styles, who cares? There are styles and this means there must be teamwork. We're on God's team, moving people step to step as he gives us opportunity, inviting them step to step, and planting and watering as he gives opportunity, and using our unique styles. No one can look at another Christian person who uses a different style and say, I don't have need of you. Remember in 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul talks about the body of Christ, he says that we need each other. When we feel pain, we feel for each other. And in the same way, when one of us has a unique gifting from the Holy Spirit, we need the other person's gifting as well. Prophets need preachers. Evangelists need pastors. Administrators need servants. All of the skills and functions that the Holy Spirit gives are meant to work together. And so you get to be you when you tell the story. This should be so freeing. You don't have to be me. I don't have to be you. None of us has to pretend to be somebody that we are not. One last word on witnessing by telling our stories as they're sitting in the story of Jesus to people in our home and, and around town. Consider your audience. There are ways that you can talk about your faith with your children, and there are other ways you might talk about it with your coworkers, and yet other ways you might talk about it if you're on a one-week mission trip in a foreign country. Consider your audience. Jesus reminded us in his Sermon on the Mount not to cast our pearls before swine. Now, this isn't to say that people are swine. It's just a parable or a saying that Jesus uses to remind us to consider our audience. He actually wants us to use wisdom and to use a right judgment in how we approach people. Put it in these other words that are a little easier to swallow. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. You are the salt and the light. This is also in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Consider your audience. We want to be salt. Make people thirsty for the story of Jesus. Not make them salty by the way we present the story of Jesus. Uh, don't take your Bible to work if you're going to show up late and, and make the rest of the team pull uh, your weight on the team and then show up late and throw your Bible down and start talking about Jesus. This is not considering your audience. Uh, don't stand in line at the coffee shop 
and, and talk at great length with somebody who clearly doesn't want to be talking to you right now while other people are waiting in line behind you and are frustrated that you are here trying to push your agenda or convert somebody that clearly isn't interested in the conversation. Consider your audience. Take those little moments and those little chance to drop and to irrigate as God gives opportunity. And when somebody says, tell me more, or when you even have the opportunity in a grace-given moment to say, do you want to sit down and talk about this? And they say yes. Then be prepared in season and out of season to share why this hope is alive within you. In other words, as we go about our life at home, with our children, our family, with our spouses, with our parents and grandparents, out through the workplace, in these concentric circles, out to the world, we're considering our audience, making contact with both loved ones and strangers, and then offering the story of Jesus in a way that makes people curious, that helps them connect the life-giving truth and teachings and redemption of Jesus's life with their situation. And then when the opportunity is right to make things more clear, make contact, make curious, make clear, is a great little three-step uh, thing that you can repeat, a little three-step saying that you can keep in mind. Make, make contact, make curious, make clear. To think through this process that we are moving with people step to step towards the cross. We are not having to clarify every doctrine, every scientific explanation, every interpretation, uh, every worship war, Certainly, we don't want to start off by indoctrinating people in one system of Christianity versus another. We want to share the story of Jesus. This is the story that saves. Maybe even for you, sitting at home right now, having been home for a while during this pandemic, maybe you're even reconsidering what the story of Jesus is doing in your own life. It may be that right now God is moving you from cross minus three to cross minus two, that you are making a decision right now about Jesus, evaluating your life in new ways, seeing things with new priorities. Maybe you are seeing that this broken world that's so susceptible both to viruses and to economic collapse is really in need of a Savior, and not just an eternal Savior that saves souls after death, but one who has abundant life teachings to save us now so that we can have the Holy Spirit with the peace that he provides, with the comfort and security and confidence that being in God's plan provides. Maybe you are ready today to reach out to myself or to one of our other ministers and to talk more about this story of Jesus and the role that it's playing in your life. I would encourage you to do that please email me or send me a text message. It is not hard to find my contact information on the church website. And if you contact anyone on there uh, in our office, uh, or if you email me, I'd be happy to have a phone call with you. And so would the rest of our ministry staff. And so would our elders. Because we are here in the meantime to tell what Jesus has done in the world and in our lives. And we would love to share that with you too. Church, we're praying for you. Be strengthened in the Holy Spirit. Use your unique giftings. In fact, search them out. Pray that God might show you what they are. Let me pray for us right now. Father in heaven, we thank you 
that you have put us on a team that cannot lose with yourself and the Son of God and the Holy Spirit of God on the team. We thank you that you've put us in a church where there are many different gifts given by the Spirit so that we don't have to do every step on our own. We need each other and in fact we help each other in the process of telling the story. And we thank you, Father, that you've placed us in different audiences, both in our homes and in our towns, where people who need to know the gospel of Jesus are rubbing shoulders with us who have heard about him, who have seen him, who have touched him through faith, and who have been transformed by him, and who are being transformed by him. Help us to be faithful in telling the story. Equip your church now, God, and in the future. We love you and thank you for loving us. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you all.